minus three, two, one. PWC, we are go for launch. This is Launch Hour, the story of PWC's marketing journey, powered by Salesforce, with your hosts, Joel and Mike. All right, welcome back, everybody, to episode five of Launch Hour Podcast. I'm Joel Caruso. And I'm Mike Wisniewski. Exciting stuff, Joel. Last episode, a uh, big guest. Good stuff. Yeah, I can't believe it. I mean, last episode, hopefully for now, we signed up for a five-episode series, and, and we are delivering on the five-episode series. It's been an awesome uh, time, and I've enjoyed getting the chance every so often to catch up with you, Mike, and talk Marketing Cloud, and talk the project, and reminisce, and hopefully everyone else has enjoyed it along the way. So thanks, everyone, for kind of hanging out with us, and hopefully you got a lot out of this so far. We still have one amazing episode to go. I can't wait. This is going to be a lot of fun with Christine. Yeah, and to keep up with the status of our renewal everyone can check variety magazine out to see if they decide to bring us back for another uh hit right joel i'm sure we'll be the front page <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's good um i think one cool thing that uh that has come out of this or i don't know not that it's come out of it but one of the ways that we're trying to promote people listening to this is actually using marketing cloud so we actually put our money where our mouth is and the pwc global alliance team that works with salesforce has actually used pwc's marketing cloud instance to promote our podcast. So maybe you're one of the folks that received that email and and you're listening today. So that's marketing. It's marketing. It's marketing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's working. So I think that's pretty cool. The way they did it, I think, was they had one email go out to kind of feel out with some folks. So they segmented the market using Sales Cloud. And then they, uh, this is kind of fun. We can talk a little bit about how our marketing works and and it's actually very relevant. So they, they segmented the market based on people who may be marketing leads or CMOs or folks in the C-suite who are interested in maybe doing some sort of marketing transformation, or maybe they're already using Salesforce and not Marketing Cloud and sent them an email. And then based on how they interacted with it, whether they didn't look at it or didn't open it, they would have sent them a reminder email to say, hey, check it out. We are doing this. It may be relevant to you based on uh, what we know about you. And then if they were interacting with it and it was something that they had clicked and interacted with, we could send them a follow up and say, hey, episode two's out or episode three's out. Um, just so you know, why don't you check it out? Because it seems like you liked the last one. So I thought that was really cool. I was happy to hear that from our marketing team. And I think it's kind of a, a neat way of, of marketing this because that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And to expand upon that, you know, I can tell everyone if you've ever gotten any marketing emails from Salesforce, we absolutely, I I won't say salespeople always remind me not to use the eat your own dog food version of this phrase. It's drink your own champagne. So we drink our own champagne at Salesforce and we use marketing cloud as well for all of our marketing emails. And similar to how Joel subscribes, except in a more nuanced fashion, we do um, dynamic content where basically we look at your profile and the data we gather from you. And if you're a more technical developer architect type, you may get an email that has certain content that's the same for everyone, but then a block that encourages you to sign up for a dev org and do an evaluation of our product. If you're not so technical and you're more business oriented, you might get a call to action to try to join a webinar. And I think it speaks to the breadth of the functionality of Marketing Cloud, huh, Joel? Yeah, absolutely. We, we've touched on so much in the, the past four episodes, and I think today's interview is going to be even more information, but there's so much still to learn and so much still to talk about. And because this is our last episode and, and there's still lots to talk about, I think a good way for everyone to kind of understand a lot of what the resources are that are out there, Mike being the expert that he is, 
is going to record a five, six minute segment on the end of this final episode. So for those people that are interested in enabling themselves or their marketing teams in the future on Marketing Cloud, it'll be a great way for you to quickly consume and understand what some of the great resources that are out there are. So give that a listen. And um, I think it's probably time now to send it over to our interview. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our fifth and final guest to the launch of our podcast series, Christine Robertson. So Christine, before I, I get you to say hi, um, I kind of want to go over your your long tenure at PwC. So I think back in 2014, you started as a director in our marketing and sales transformation team. And then after, I think a few years of that, you were asked to actually lead our global Salesforce project. So the CRM rollout that we keep talking about over and over in this podcast series. And then after that, you actually led our marketing and sales practice. And now finally, you're uh, a partner in our client facing team, the front office transformation team. So the one that myself and Nicole work on. So, I mean, a lot of things. So without going on and on, welcome to the the Launch Our Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, we, we've got a lot to talk about, Mike, before we get started. Yeah, welcome, Christine. We're absolutely excited to have you. For our listeners, Christine's been involved in the entire Salesforce rollout for PwC, starting with the Sales Cloud rollout we've talked about a little bit that kind of preceded the Marketing Cloud rollout, and then through the founding territories, and including our native Canada, rolling out and adopting Marketing Cloud, and then the uh, global project that we've been focusing on in this series mostly that we've done mostly in 2020 and a bit into 2021. And now she continues to work with external clients as part of the front office practice. So welcome, Christine. Glad to have you. It's great to talk to you, Mike. It's been a little while since we've had a chance to talk. Yeah, it has. Absolutely. Getting the getting the band back together. That's right. Yeah, it's been a while since like the three of us have been on a call. So this is this is going to be fun. I, I mean, we've, we've got a ton to talk about, Christine. I think we'll probably go way over the time with with all the stories and the fun. But I, I think just so that the listeners can follow and, and so that you know, I tried to organize our flow a little bit more. So I think in the first bit, we'll talk a little bit about the program and how it came together, some of the lessons we learned. You know from listening that Nicole touched on this, but she's come back to me and said, hey, make sure Christine says this. I forgot this. I can't believe I forgot this. We got to talk about this. So um, that'll be kind of the, the first bit. And then I think we'll get into our discussion around how we started enabling the territories. We could have a quick story or two on some of the stuff we learned with the implementation. Then we'll get into kind of how it's going now, your vision for the future, the PwC vision for the future, the new territories that we've got coming on, stuff like that. And then let's talk, Christine, what's going on in the marketing world. I think women in tech is is huge lately. You've been a part of some uh, some cool panels, so want to dive into that. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. So we'll kind of take it way back to the beginning of, of the Marketing Cloud program. So what were the goals when we were getting started? So why Marketing Cloud? Why a global program? So I think that a couple of people in some of the earlier episodes have touched on some of the reasons why, but I'll try to recap here and hopefully add some more details. So our goals for Marketing Cloud were really for us to continue on in our journey of transforming how we go to market. And so that is a journey that started several years ago, back in 2016, where we were enabling ourselves to smarter for and about our clients across the globe uh, by leveraging Salesforce. And so as we're, you know, continuing on in our journey and looking at additional capabilities, that's where we're looking at, you know, next step, next chapter around marketing. And our territories have all been on different paths in terms of their readiness, their maturity. And uh, so we started with a, a couple of territories, including Canada, and I was the um, marketing and sales leader at the time and looking at, you know, what's the 
next best thing that we can be doing for our clients and for our marketing teams to really get that 360 view and be able to personalize journeys and deliver that customer experience. And that's where looking at Marketing Cloud at the time made sense for us and it did for a couple of other territories as well. So we were able to really pilot and work together to identify, you know, here's the best value, here's the best approach. And other territories then were also interested in taking those same learnings. And now it's become a global program. It's a good kind of synopsis of, of everything. And I know we've talked about it, but you never know. Some folks might be just Christine fans and are just listening to this one. So it's good to give an overview for them. Kind of continuing on, we, we speak a lot about what we learned from Sales Cloud. So I, I really don't want to ask you, hey, Christine, what did we learn about from our sales cloud rollout. But speaking to the global program um, from a marketing standpoint, how do we set up our deployment model? So this is one that Nicole really wanted us to touch on, that global liaison. And that was kind of the role that I played. But but why did we do that? What was kind of the reasoning behind that? And why was it successful with sales cloud? And, and why did you choose to, do, to set up our global program this way? So I think there's probably a couple of the lessons from our sales cloud implementation that we brought into our marketing cloud rollout. And one of them is that it wasn't just about rolling out the technology. It was really around what is the business value? What are we aiming to achieve? And now let's roll out the technology to support that. And uh, so that really, you know, with that in mind, as we're a network of firms, we have different territories to support and different needs. You know, we're going to need to balance that, you know, global to local needs. And that's where we looked at what's the best way for us to provide that while working with the territories, which is what we call our member firms, how do we work with them to, to best deliver to their needs, but also keep some consistency so that we can achieve our broader you know, goals of supporting our clients that go across our territories. So as we look at how to best support those territories, you know, we needed to be able to have them have one single point person that they could work with, as well as um, being able to get access to a broader set of resources. So that global liaison was a great way for us to provide that single point of contact with access to all the re different resources you might need across different areas of specialty, whether that's technical or business. And uh, that worked really well for us in the sales cloud role and has worked really well for us on the marketing cloud side as well. The other thing that we took with us was the approach of using a, a train model. So we use this train analogy, but uh, where we're you know getting started at the same date and finishing at the same date, we're taking this ride, we're taking this journey together. And that has worked really well for a couple different reasons. One being, of course, we can share on cost. There's some efficiency there if we can have multiple teams teams and groups going together at the same time. The other is that they really get to learn from each other. And, you know, whether that's, you know, again, we're bringing to them resources and templates and things to get started, but they're also learning a lot just from each other. And, you know, because we're co-teams and colleagues, they're learning how do you do it? Oh, you do it this way. I do it this way. And they're getting lots of more value beyond just the implementation of marketing cloud. They're also getting that ways of working and building relationships and learning a lot from each other. So that was the other thing is that that train model approach that uh, has worked really well for us too, that we had first started with using in, in our sales cloud implementation. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. I forgot to mention that one. So thanks, Christine. That was one of the ones that came up with Calvin um, when we were speaking with him in his episode, kind of talking about how Australia and New Zealand firms work together. So, I mean, it worked well for us, I think, and, and it continues to work well. So yeah, definitely uh, good to highlight. I guess for for other because that's that's very PwC specific because we have the global network of firms, maybe for other execs or other companies out there that are looking to get started on something like this. So from a choosing a, a marketing automation platform, what do you kind of wish you had known before or what would you like to say to them? And, and I have some things that I can throw in there if, if there's it's really broad. Uh, that's a pretty big question. But but yeah, yeah no saying by Eloqua or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> we appreciate that. OK, don't worry, I won't say that. So what I will 
will say, so again, I've, you know, having been in a marketing leader role and having implemented different marketing automation tools in different places uh, in my in my own career journey, I would say that I think the biggest thing is to start with what are you aiming to achieve? What are your use cases? What are your, uh, you know, what's most important to you, what you're looking to accomplish in your broader organization, not just in a you know, looking at feature to feature, function to function across different tools, because it can be very overwhelming. So you really need to go back to, again, it's that business value, just, you know, what is that, what is the most important thing to us? What are we trying to accomplish? And then now let's look at, okay, here's our full ecosystem. And, you know, here's what's most important to us, because it does get quite uh, distracting sometimes when you're looking at different features and functions, kind of like if you're going out car shopping, <laughs> um, rather than thinking about, okay, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I need something to haul stuff, you know, because I love to go camping, right? That helps you narrow down what type of car you're looking for. It's the same type of thing. So when it, what's most important to me, take a look at the different tools in your broader ecosystem to help narrow it down. And also because the landscape is changing rapidly as, you know, with new development and, you know, additional customer expectations around insights that you're using and integration with things across your, your different platforms that that will become important. So it's it's going to continue to change. So keep that in mind as you're as you're making your bet. Couple of other things that I've learned again as being the marketing leader and having to, you know, have support a team who's who's now using a new tool. I would say it's also looking at what's going to be easy for them to use. Where are they building skills that they're going to be able to take? You know, whether that's within your organization or as they do other things in their career. And important, very very importantly, about insights. So how are they? You know, what's most important to you? What what's the data and the attributes that you need to be able to capture? And how easy is it going to be for us to be able to harness that information? Whether that's um, back to our marketers, back to our salespeople, back to, you know, how are we actually creating predictive things that we can be, you know, placing out in front of our customers. So I think that is also really important. So what's most important to you to have that as a business lens on what you're selecting, looking at the ease of use for your marketers and what training and upskilling and support they're going to need. And then finally on, on the insights, that was something that was really, really critical for us was being able to bring the insights back into our sales cloud implementation so that we could bring insights around what our clients are engaging in right to our people that are working with them every day. And before it was, you know, because we've used marketing automation for some time with our team in Canada's example, those insights were more siloed in a separate system. And it was harder to bring it to the surface for people to see the value and make those connections. Wow, that was a that was a great answer. So I think the the piece about getting caught up in in the features and tool versus tool is is big because I've worked with clients and when you have a process of evaluating things and putting things side by side and and that's the ask, it's very overwhelming and and you get caught up in well this one doesn't have X feature and it seems like a deal breaker, but really at the end of the day, if you took a step back and said, well, what do we actually need out of this? Then those little things don't matter. And I mean, at the end of the day, you can adapt your processes. The process is what drives the success with with a technology platform for sure yeah exactly and be ready to change right there's don't don't <laughs> underestimate how much change is going to be needed i mean we've had that i think through many different implementations and i'm sure everybody listening has had that same challenge you know we underestimated how much change there was going to be so prepare for you know there's new ways of working and it's not just teaching someone step abc it's really changing how we're approaching things you know our whole frame of what we're doing and new ways of working and so how are we supporting them not just at go live but on that continuing journey that they're going to take. Yeah, no, agreed. That's, that's huge because when people kind of try and do what they used to have with a new system, it, there's really no point in, in going through this entire transformation. It kind of takes away from it. I guess uh, it's along the same lines and we won't talk on it too much, but business cases, I think, are a huge part of, I mean, these 
obviously these transformations aren't something where it's just a quick, hey, let's do it. It's going to cost money. So when when you think of the business case, are there key things that you think you need to have in there? So maybe put yourself in the shoes of a CMO or marketing director who sees the fact that they want to go on Marketing Cloud and, and the benefit of it. What kind of things do you think that they should be focusing on in those business cases? And I know you touched on it a little bit with the last question. So maybe just elaborate a little bit further. Yeah, I think that when you look at marketing technology, marketing automation is probably one of the easier ones to be able to make some ROI around because it allows you to be able to measure the impact of your marketing investments. Because without it, I can't measure it in the first place, right? So I'm investing in my marketing efforts. What's that return that I'm getting? And really, Marketing Cloud as a marketing automation product is really the the cornerstone or key platform to then build on additional capabilities around that. So we talk like we really ground ourselves in this maturity curve. So if we look at, you know, our how do we need to evolve our processes and our capabilities to become transformed or a leader in in marketing? And then what are the technology enablers along that journey so that we'll actually be able to get value out of it as we progress and mature in our capabilities? So with marketing automation being, you know, really the core platform that you need, it's going to allow you to be able to get, you know, if I'm investing this much into a campaign, what's my return on that campaign? How, you know, how is that turning into leads and opportunities and into wins? And what are the results I'm getting from that campaign? I really have have to have it to be able to measure. So it's a bit easier to get that direct measurement. There may be some other tools that are harder to, you know, what's the, uh, you know, what, what's the exact return that I'm going to get for that. But again, it goes back to how am I measuring, how am I attributing value to the different channels and different techniques that I'm using. And it may be that by moving to a platform like this, you'll be able to save costs that you may be spending whether that's with an external agency or um, you know, by outsourcing certain things you may be doing today, you may be able to bring some of those in-house and, and reduce costs. So it may not be just the, the tool. The other thing to consider would be, you know, how does that change our processes? Uh, for some organizations, they may also have to invest in new capabilities if they're going to take on marketing automation and they're not outsourcing. So they may need to factor that in. But in the end, it's being able to measure and know, hey, these tactics are, are working and actually getting me engagement and getting me results that are coming back in through our sales pipeline. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a really good point. It's funny when when people often make business cases, one of the default things that they do is, can we save money? Are we going to be able to reduce headcount? Are we going to be able to do things cheaper? Are we paying too much now? And and one of the things that I've noticed with when we talk to the territories or to clients, it's not necessarily that you're going to be saving costs. And, and you did allude to maybe there are some things, but it's really the value that it brings that is really the thing that you need to focus on. And you talked about this, the insights and being able to have that picture. So no, thanks. That's a that's that's awesome. And hopefully the listeners will find that interesting. So Mike, I'm going to throw it over to you. I, I, I've talked a lot. I've asked a lot of questions. Uh, I think it's probably time for the listeners to hear your voice rather than mine yeah joel's uh, become quite polished there huh, <laughs> yeah christine? look at joel christine, christine like <laughs> <laughs> our little baby boy is all grown up as i say i we created a monster all of a sudden we're gonna hear that joel's got his own podcast on sirius xm or something <laughs> yeah i can't make it to like yeah. work meetings because i'm i'm on from the lunch hour or something anyway yeah. he's the dj on the radio for the it's evening show gateway to being a live twitcher and all that yeah. good stuff um, so in the first episode, Christine, I know you heard we talked with Nicole about the DPWs and how we had to put it um, nicely. We had some very anxious territories and Nicole specifically had to kind of really sell them on trusting the process. We're about a year out from, um, I, I think, almost 
in early April, I want to say it was, we were doing Train the Trainer for Train 1 and Train 2. Looking back, reflecting a year back, what do you think some of the success stories are from the global rollout that we did after the founding territories were rolled out with the two trains and then the third train with Germany and Italy that we did? So you've raised another element that we did learn from our sales cloud implementation that we said, hey, that was something that worked well and is still going to work well for for marketing cloud, which was using that DPW, the deployment planning workshop. And so many of our territories were used to us using that, but still we may be working with new people in a team, but it was really a way for us to, you know, we're going to bring to you these approaches and these ideas and we're going to walk out of here with it when we were, I mean, I say walk out back when we could get together in person, but, uh, you know, whether that's emerging from the virtual session now or from the in-person sessions we were having is we're going to emerge with an aligned plan that we're going to be able to take now to through successful deployment together. And we each know our different roles. We know the steps we're going to take. We've got this you know, agreed upon detailed plan we can leverage. So I think that approach, some of our territories were familiar with us having done that before. However, as I said, they may have been you know, some new people, of course, because we were in the in the marketing realm instead of the sales realm, and it, and it's a different product. And so we had, you know, of course, there's some different steps and different things that we had to do to to come out of it. So I think that the lesson learned was again that deployment planning workshop was super important. Anytime you try to skip or or change some of those steps, we always inevitably end up having to come back and try to redo it or we find elements that hey we should have brought that back to be something that was a topic back in that in that workshop so I think we've just gotten better at it and then the other key moment is that train the trainer session that I know has been spoken about before as well which is really that and learned that from our sales cloud implementation as well which is really a great knowledge transfer time where the teams who are going to be now you know the custodians over their business units and and managing their their own business unit and their way of working, they're going to, you know, do all that detailed learning and they're going to be able to now train others in their team, train their marketers, upskill their marketers. And so that's another pivotal point for them really feeling like, okay, now we're ready to take this on and ready to sort of transition into into steady state and ready to launch. So same concepts we've leveraged before that absolutely made sense in our marketing cloud world. And reflecting back from having been one of the first territories that went live on marketing cloud, you know, we had to invent a lot of things ourselves as we were getting started. So, you know, when I compare, you know, when Canada, when we went live as the, the, one of the first territories to now in the train model, you know, we're able to now bring territories on board in about half the time and about half the implementation costs. So we've definitely found the efficiencies. And as I said, part of it is being able to start with the lessons of, of those initial territories and knowing, you know, here's our baseline for us to get started. And has the general sentiment from the territories been pretty positive about the approach now a year out in terms of results? Yeah, absolutely. And as, as I mentioned before, you know, we have territories who are all at different stages of marketing maturity and, you know, had had different experience with different platforms before. So some of our territories are often running. Others, you know, may have been looking for some additional support or additional changes, you know, and they may have gone through changes in their teams in the last year, but absolutely very positive. And I would say that the teams that have gone through the train model and, and that upskilling have found, I think, a smoother transition in. And again, because they were leveraging the lessons from the, the earlier territories who had a big adjustment from what they were using before. 
And so if you look across the trains at the different territory member firms, they kind of ran the gamut in terms of marketing automation experience, meaning some had prior marketing automation experience in one case, at least with exact target slash marketing cloud specifically. And, and some territories had no experience whatsoever with marketing cloud. Can you talk a little bit about how you overcame those challenges in dealing with kind of a mixed group from that standpoint? And then also what were some of the benefits of having, you know, kind of a mixed group in terms of where they were on uh, the maturity? curve, so to speak. Well, it's interesting because I think that the territories are the teams who had used exact target before because it's, you know, there's some similarity into the now marketing cloud world that they, you know, for example, someone like Calvin had a bit of a start running start because he'd used, you know, part of the platform before. So he had obviously lots of experience and background. I think some of the territories who had moved from a very different marketing automation platform, you know, it's, it's a bit like learning a new language, you know, I'm so used to using it one way. And so I just kind of have to step back and relearn another way. Instead of saying exactly how did I do this, we got to go back to more of the use case scenario and and learn a new way of doing something. And then, you know, for territories who hadn't used anything, it's all new for them and new and exciting. And it's probably, you know, I'm probably taking a stab here at speaking for them, but it seems like those who hadn't really used anything before had an easier like I'm starting with a fresh slate. <laughs> and so here's how, you know, mm -hmm. here's how I'm going to be able to do all these new capabilities I haven't done before. And then for others, it's almost as I said, it's like having to relearn or I'm, I'm learning a new language. And so I've, I've got to, you know, look at a different approach. And there'll be some things that they found much easier to do and other things that again, it's like different muscle memory, I've learned a different approach and some things that they might have wished that they could do differently. And that's where, again, we've worked really closely with your product team as well. And your team, for sure, you know, Salesforce team had had moved also from another product before you moved on to Marketing Cloud. And so it was able to really help us again from, hey, we've done this too. Here's what we had to learn and how we had to think about things differently to help us get past some of those hurdles. Yeah, I think that's a great point worth emphasizing for our listeners that when you're taking on a project like this, especially to your point, when you're looking to change behaviors and processes and not just looking to adopt a new platform, it's one of those situations where trying to reverse engineer something you already had in a prior platform, sometimes that makes things more complicated and muddled than actually starting with a blank sheet of paper. And that's something I've certainly found with, you know, not just your implementations, but a lot of implementations. So beyond that challenge, and you mentioned also the challenge of change management, feel free to elaborate on change management, but what are some of the other biggest challenges you think we faced overall on the program? Wow. I mean, there's been a few challenges with this program because you know, I think one of the biggest differences for us is that when we started our sales cloud journey, you know, it was already identified that this is going to be a global program. You know, we've got a global budget, we assemble a global team, and then we figured out, I mean, it was still a big challenge, don't get me wrong, uh, because, you know, we've got, again, such a big network and people having come from and, you know, doing different things and different processes, different systems, and trying to get collaboration and alignment wasn't an easy journey. However, we had the right leadership support and were able to take some different approaches and have had some great success with it. In the marketing cloud journey, you know, we didn't have a global budget, a global program already set up. This was really a coalition of some territories who were ready to move. And I think Laura did a great job explaining you know, how some of that came together. But in case anyone hadn't heard, uh, you know, we had a couple of initial territories who had been using marketing automation before. A couple of us did have integrations with Sales Cloud, and we identified that it was technically too difficult for us to have one big Sales Cloud instance 
integrated in with a bunch of different marketing automation tools. And so we were going to at some point have to come to one. But again, not all of our territories had market automation. It wasn't a priority for all of them. So that's why I think it was a big challenge, you know, going from, hey, we've got this loose coalition. Let's do this together. Let's learn together. And our global tech team, you know, was supporting us in doing that and getting it set up. And then as we went to, okay, now we've got an, another cohort of territories who are ready to go live. Let's put together a program for them. And I think Nicole had spoken about this. There was, you know, a lot of demand because they had contracts expiring and we want to go faster, faster. And we said, look, to do this successfully, we know we just need to slow down and plan this properly. And then we'll be able to speed up. Um, so we had to build that trust with them fairly quickly. And so I would say it's that sort of, you know, because it was an opt-in waiting for a big enough threshold of territories who were keen to go and then putting the program around them so that we could get them live and not just again, not just live and here's the new tool, but you know, we're using the same best practices. So we're aligning as global brand around our clients and we're learning from each other. We're taking the investments that our other territories have made and, and getting our, our helping our colleagues get on board. So really trying to do it as efficiently uh, with as much value as we could. And so that's where it was really, again, this, this balancing act and needing to be agile and move quickly. For sure. So we talked a little bit about in both episode one and episode two about the uh, knock your socks off demo and what we did in Train the Trainer. And I think episode two actually has socks in the title. And yes, we talked about the figure skating judging, which was kind of an homage to your past. Can you talk a little bit about, especially with COVID, how using techniques like gamification and other things like that are beneficial in keeping your audience engaged, especially when you're trying to execute training remotely and whatnot? Yeah, I think that, you know, gamification or having fun is something that we know is really important in adult learning. We know this from behavioral science. And so we know that people, you know, they learn more, they learn faster when they're having fun. It's one of the important elements. And so that's why it does work. And we were able to get in our sales cloud journey experiment with some different ways of bringing that gamification to people as we were transforming how we worked. And so that has, I think, stayed as a, as a theme for us is how do we make this fun? How do we, um, and especially as we moved, as you said, to evolve virtual you know, how do we make this as interactive and as fun as possible? And, you know, when you give that challenge out to people, they're going to come up with some good ideas. And then again, you try it out. If it works, great. You do it again. If it doesn't work, you try, you know, you try something else. And um, the, the knock your socks off demo is a bit of an homage to our exec sponsor of our sales cloud rollout, Rob Giddings. If he ever listens to this episode, he can hear a shout out to him. So he had, uh, with our sales cloud rollout, you know, encouraged us to, you know, build this knock your socks off demo so that as we go around the world, the teams across the world, were going to be able to articulate the business value of what we were doing to get our people across our firm excited about the transformation we were undertaking. So again, it's like that elevator pitch or that, you know, what's in it for them and catch their excitement. And it also built up people's built up their confidence. And so not just giving the idea of how to tell the value proposition, but also built up their confidence in being able to tell it so that they would be ready as they go on to help drive that transformation in, in their own firm, in their own country. And so it's taking that idea now to virtual and now thinking about how to make it fun. And this is where, you know, I, you know, added on the, you know, so if we need to, you know, judge this with something that would be fun and maybe not, you know, not seem totally serious and be able to give us a, both a, a view of the technical, but also the business or the artistic side. And since I'm a mad figure skating fan, of course, that jumped to mind and everybody else jumped on board and of course, kept making that idea better and better. 
Absolutely. So we, we've mentioned the term maturity curve a couple times here. It, we, you've got about a dozen territories live on the global instance now, many of whom have been on for a year or a little bit more right around there. Talk a little bit about how to manage innovation using the concept of a maturity curve to make sure that territories are ready for the new innovation and we're not just layering on new functionality for the sake of layering on new functionality. I think that the concept of the maturity curve is especially important in the marketing realm because there are so many different technologies out there. There's I don't know what the latest number is, seven or 8,000 different MarTech products in the, in the right. software world. So it's really important to look at, again, where am I at? Where am I going to get value? Because otherwise I might chase you know, and implement something that gives me a very limited return because I haven't really grounded it in, you know, what I'm able to get from it, right? So I need to change my capabilities to really able to get the value out of that that investment. Or maybe I've missed a step again along that maturity curve. I'm just missing something that's going to allow me to really trigger that that value. So uh, I found it, it it just really helped us get really clear about what we needed to do first, second, you know, it's like creating a roadmap for ourselves. And especially when we're a global network and we're balancing all these needs of all these different territories. And then from there we can see, and now we've got the challenge of, we've still got, you know, territories, as you said, who've been on for a year or a year and a half now and are wanting to add more capability. And, you know, in, in terms of being able to create personalized, relevant experiences for our clients across different channels. So they're really pushing on the upward end of the spectrum. And then we have territories who, again, varying sizes across the globe who are wanting to get on to Marketing Cloud, you know, as the foundational product to then be able to move up. So we've got territories at different places. And with the maturity curve, it allows us to manage it in, a, in an orchestrated fashion versus everybody doing their own thing. And that's absolutely the way to go. You, you need to make sure that you've really built up a foundational understanding of the product before you start layering things on. With that said, looking ahead, you know, a year, two years from now, we, we talked a little bit in the intro about C360A and, you know, you can talk about customer data platform and DMP functionality along with that. What are some of the innovation that for your business model in a B2B environment that you're most excited to see territories be able to adopt as they move up the maturity curve? Well, I think that that C360 promise is the most, you know, the most exciting for us because, you know, we have on the one hand, our people like our, our partners and our staff who are out there interacting with our clients all the time and leveraging sales cloud you know, as we're collaborating with each other and supporting our clients. And then we've also got the power of our brand out in the market and, you know, are leveraging our, you know, especially our, our web channel, especially important. So being able to connect the interactions that our clients are having across those different channels back into one place to be able to deliver on that personalized experience is really, really exciting. And it is complicated because, you know, in B2B, we have people working for clients that are across, you know, across different countries. And so we have to not just add on into the tech platform and be innovating there, but also back to our, our journeys and our approaches in the market and our content and where are people engaging and being able to share those insights. So it's, I would say, the things that are most important for us will be connecting back to that 360 view of our clients. So that's why DMP, CDP, et cetera, are going to be uh, really important for us, as well as what being able to get insights back around, you know, what, what channels are we actually getting the best engagement on or which campaigns or where potentially are we not getting the engagement that we thought and being able to share those insights quickly and readily across our different territories and our lines of business. 
Yeah, I could see where the our, our evolution from a analytics standpoint, and I know you already have some territories who are using Tableau, and Tableau CRM could be another one that I think is going to be really interesting for you guys. Absolutely. I know I need to call it Tableau CRM now instead of Einstein. You guys always keep me on my toes with how to <laughs> learn, re- learn new branding. Hey, it's not a month if we haven't rebranded something <laughs> at Salesforce. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. We have several of our territories who have really gone all in on Tableau CRM. See, I can adapt quickly. And uh, who are really leveraging that. We have others who are using other BI tools and maybe looking at at that in you know in their future and looking at that roadmap. And then we've got as well looking at Datarama. We have you know some territories who've been looking at that as part of their overall insights ecosystem and really excited to see what we can leverage from the uh, Einstein discovery viewpoint. So being able to use more predictive analytics. So if someone has engaged in this, are they likely to be engaged in that? If, if they've engaged in these things, are they now considered a hot lead instead of instead of us having to really build out structured lead scoring models and things like that. So really excited to see on the predictive side, getting the ready analytics. And again, we've had some, you know, a couple of our territories have done some amazing dashboards and insights that we're now building out and be able to share across the globe. Absolutely. Joel, kick it back to you to take us home. Do I get to, I get to talk again? Wow. You, you get to talk. <laughs> so I think it's pretty exciting that this podcast, we get to have so many kind of leaders in their own field and, and people who've done it for a long time. And, and Christine, I'm, I'm not trying to make your, your head swell up, but like who are, who are doing a fantastic job and, and are constantly being asked for their opinions and giving great kind of forward looking statements about the future of things and where you see things are. So I, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about some of your opinions and what your thoughts are on, on things like, I mean, we talked with Laura about how B2B and B2C, we're seeing a convergence. So obviously PwC is B2B, but I know you have lots of experience with B2C as well. So from kind of like a consulting perspective, thoughts on the similarities and the differences and and where it's going. And I mean, I don't know, maybe talk to the back office and the customer engagement layer and things like that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you see a lot of thought leadership out there around the changing, including from Salesforce, but also from surveys that we've done and other, you know, whether it's Forrester or IDC or Gartner, you know, you, you see research out there around changing client expectations. So we've gone from, hey, we need to be customer obsessed to now, you know, customers are, you know, the importance of their experience with your brand is becoming on par with the quality of your product or service. So it, we know it's becoming an imperative. We know it's you know becoming really important. We know that as well that the pandemic, you know, with everyone moving to virtual work, has really actually accelerated that expectation of that digital experience that your clients are having with you. So what I experience as a client through you know, I'm ordering things online, they're coming to my door the next day, you know, those expectations I'm having are now coming into my life as a as a B2B customer. And I think many B2B organizations know this, and some are just maybe not sure how quickly do I need to move to that? Or what steps do I need to take to get there? And it is actually, I think, more complicated in the B2B world, because we have people as individuals are, you know, sometimes often moving between companies, you know, so I can't just think of my customers one big lump, right? It's of people like that's made up of these individuals. And so I need to think about my strategy for, you know, what do they need? How do I, um, you know, how do I engage them? How do I try to engage them with multiple people in my organization and multiple people in their organization and be able to get insights from that. So uh, the good news is there's lots of great technology. There's great learnings and processes out there and looking at, you know, how do you build your roadmap? 
But those customer expectations are definitely just going to continue to ramp up. They're not going to go away around. Again, it's that overall experience connecting between the digital world and the people that I'm working with at your organization. And the, the people I'm working with absolutely is still really important. But I think this is really an important time for marketers as well to be able to show the value that they're bringing back to those personal relationships with the engagement they're giving over digital. I think that's still been a challenge in many organizations where it's, you know, where there's a, a siloed, like we know we need marketing, we know we need them out there, but we're not sure how much value I, you can tell. My husband is a sales executive. So we have these battles at home, um, um, you know, between like, why do we need marketing anyway? And so it's, I think being able to bring, you know, here's the value that we bring back to, to you and, and again, getting those insights and creating those experiences for our, for our clients that it's going to be more and more important and more and more relevant to B2B. Yeah. I, I think that really speaks to kind of that greater need for transparency within the business. So like how you run the business, looking at those dashboards that we keep talking about and then making decisions around it. We use it a lot at PwC, obviously the two systems we have marketing cloud, but then everything comes into sales cloud and we have our big meetings and, and discussions using the stuff from, from the sales cloud side. So just yeah. adding that on. Yeah. Absolutely. And you said it, Joel, or it's like, how do we actually use that data now to make our decisions? So rather than, hey, let's do that this year because we did it last year. No, it's like, what does the data tell us? Should we be trying something else and taking a different approach? So And getting those insights, as I said, as you just said, back to the people who are who are working with your clients. Yeah, it's no longer we do. We used to run the softball tournament every year and we have to run it this year because everyone likes going. It's like, well, are we actually generating leads out of that? PwC doesn't have a softball. Oh, maybe we do, but I'm just using that as an example. No, it's it's a good point. Somewhere we might. I'm sure somewhere, <laughs> somewhere there is. Um, so I want to pivot a little bit. I'm going to throw out an Anthony quote here. This is one of my favorites. Whenever he refers to um, yourself and Vicky and Steph, the, the leaders of the program, he calls them the heavy hitters. And I think it's always funny. It's kind of the people that show up bring the big bats and you're all women and women in tech. And and I think one of the things that we didn't really realize until we got started is four out of five of our interviewees were women. And I think this is extremely reflective of the project. I mean, I didn't really notice day in and day out until someone pointed it out that like, I think on a lot of the calls, it was me and, and then a group of women at, at the top. And so I really think that this is kind of something that we should call out because the program has been so successful. I think a little bit of ago, you were invited to speak at an event by IntroHive for International Women's Day. So are you able to comment on kind of some of the changes that you've seen in the industry? And I know this is always a hot topic right now, so I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, thanks, Joel. It's a big question. Um, I, uh, so <laughs> I, would, I would say that, you know, diversity and inclusion has always been a priority at PwC, right? So I've been here since 2014. And, you know, in Canada, we had a women in leadership program. I think shortly thereafter, you know, we became one of the corporate participants in the UN's He for She initiative. And so I think it's always been at the front looking at diversity across many aspects, not just gender. And so I, I think that there's been that getting it to the, you know, we're discussing it, we're talking about it, like, and making that really important within our organization. And so as we move into the, some of these programs, like our global Salesforce world and now marketing cloud, it's, it just doesn't seem to be a surprise that, yeah, we've got women in, <laughs> we have women in leadership roles. And, uh, but I, you know, obviously it's still, it is still something that, you know, as you look out into the broader industry and beyond just industry too, you know, again, here in Canada, our global mail had a power gap investigative journalism study that's come out and shows that there still is disparity and especially for people of color. And so we do still definitely need to keep talking about it and promoting it. And one of those ways is by having people who are in those roles that, 
where people see themselves. So uh, yeah, so it's like I said, for us, it, it didn't seem like no surprise, but I know it's still something that we need to keep talking about and keep and keep promoting. And part of it is making sure that we're supporting women as they go through, you know, different stages of their career and different turns in life and importantly, supporting men. So as men start families or doing different things that we're supporting them too, because that in turn helps them support the women in their lives. That was very well put. And, and it's an interesting thought, right? Because we always ask women, it's like, hey, what, what can we do differently? And, and I think that it is really about that. Everyone has to be the change and, and we're seeing it. And, and to be honest, I'm, I work at PwC. I don't see it. There's a difference like it's just something that's talked about so much in the news that I wanted to bring it up. And I think it's important to kind of keep the conversation going because we have to recognize it and, and we see kind of disparities like you just said that some of the investigative journalism that's out there shows gaps and there's obviously progress that that needs to be had. So what are some of the opportunities that you see? Any additional opportunities where we can make a change, make a difference? Maybe some messages you have for young women or their parents that are considering a career in, in tech or professional services or or anything? Yeah, like that. And, you know, and I've had, you know, I've spent much of my career in tech and I would say, uh, so I was asked about, you know, what advice would you give to a young female professional? And I said, I think it's just to chart your own course, you know, be brave. And, and also I would say, be kind to yourself. So, you know, you're going to go through, you know, different things in your life and you may want to take the foot off the gas pedal, or you might want to go in a different direction and that's okay. Like you I think sometimes people live under, you know, either I've heard no here, or why would you want to do that? Or, <laughs> or, you know, perceiving judgment of others. Like, well, if I, if I do take sometimes does that mean I'm a bad mom or that I'm not supporting my family in some way? And so I think, you know, really, again, it's chart your own course. It's this is your career. Make the decisions that line up to what's most important to you. And then I would say, again, on the be brave, doors are going to open, opportunities are going to come up, you know, take those risks. And and then, as I said, be kind to yourself, which I often have to remind myself to do for myself, too. So it's, uh, you know, we're, we're always continuing, continuing to learn. But I really I, I just think chart your own course. I could not have imagined back, you know, when I left university, what my career and what my role was going to be today. So, you know, the jobs, you know, 10 years from now are going to be different. So identify what's most important to you and use that as your, as your guidepost and also recognize it might change. You, you didn't picture yourself being an absolute baller running a global program <laughs> at a massive company. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I when I started University of Calgary just off of the, the farm in Vulcan, I did not, I didn't anticipate it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, actually, that's that's a good point. It takes time to get there. And for when I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh, how will I ever get to that level? But as you, you build it and get the experience, it, it well... You have to work hard at it, but it does. It yeah, does and put come. your hand up. Ask for those opportunities. Uh, and there have been times, like I mean, I you know when I was asked to do the global Salesforce role, I was like, oh, do I really want to do this? Like, <laughs> yes, you sort of you just have to be brave and do it. Yeah, don't self-select. It's one of those things where it's like I've sometimes you can talk yourself out of something, and it's really like, no, you can do this. But uh, yeah, anyway, so you've touched on a little bit about your background coming from the farm. Mike usually asks this question, but we always like to save some time at the end for the person who we're talking to to tell a little bit about themselves, whatever you're comfortable with. So what's who's Christine? Yeah, take us back to Calgary. <laughs> I know everyone will say, yeah. oh, are you from Toronto? And 
I do love Toronto, but no, I, I live in Toronto, <laughs> but I'm from Alberta. I, so I, I live in Toronto. I'm uh, married. I've got two teenage daughters who are, uh, you know, the most wonderful journey, speaking of transformations and journey, most wonderful uh, journey I've been on. And uh, I also, we have two dogs. We have a brand new puppy, which I'm really questioning now that I've had a week what? of no sleep. I know I'll have to show you pictures later. <laughs> You, you, you've like now you're telling me you've had it for a week. I had it for a week. I it's but last night I did sleep, so I'm feeling like a new person now. Um, I was questioning my decisions there, but yeah, we have two. We have one older, very reasonable dog that sleeps, and a young puppy who does not sleep. Um, and Aww. yeah, obviously I love figure skating. I love sports. I love skiing. I love being out on the water. Very excited for summer coming up, and we've been you know enjoying both being grateful and enjoying being at home, uh, so we can again be around those teenage daughters. So that's it. That's me. I think. That's it. That's you. Yeah. And you actually, up until recently, you were figure skating, right? I was. So I was able to find a new career as a adult synchronized skating member of a skating team, but our team folded last year. So I, and I haven't, uh, and I, this year would have slowed down anyways, but it was any opportunity to put on skates and wear sequins. I'm all in. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> same here. Same here. No, oh. I don't think anyone, no one wants to see that. <laughs> Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I can skate. I, I don't know about figure skate, but okay. Well, Mike, I, I'm going to throw it to you. Anything, any last words, Christine, uh, after Mike? Um, the one thing I would add on the whole women in tech thing, I think men play a huge part in it. And, um, to Christine's point, I think when women speak up, it's important that men really understand there's that subconscious bias sometimes about how we view a woman who's outspoken versus a male. And I think we've come a long way on that, but it still exists. And we have to be conscientious as males about, you know, it's great to be supportive and to treat women the right way, but make sure you're being an advocate if you see, you know, things not being the way they are. But yeah, I absolutely agree, Christine. Um, we need more women in leadership in tech for sure. No, absolutely, Mike. And I think you've raised a really great point that I would like to emphasize is, you know, while women need to support each other and be role models and bring each other up, we can't do it without men. Men are still most of the leadership roles out there, you know, we're working with every day. And, and so obviously it's the calling out on unconscious bias that may be out there. So there's lots of actions, whether that's, hey, you're interviewing and looking for diverse candidates or whether it's at the at the table or on the call with your your colleague and making sure that she's had a chance to, to raise her voice for sure. We can't do it without you. So keep up the support. And as I said, it's also also um, making sure that we've got diversity across different angles too, not just not just gender. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a heavy place to end, but Christina, <laughs> really appreciate you joining us and uh, all the insight. And you know, I think Joel would echo this. Uh, really appreciate beyond that your leadership on the project. Um, again, not trying to butter you up. The program's largely wound down. We're working on different things, but it really was to pun intended again, a great journey. So appreciate it. No, it was fun. And, you know, largely in part because of you and all the other great people on our team and on the territory team and the great partnership that we have with Salesforce. I love change and transformation and being part of, hey, we're going to do something new. We're going somewhere. We're going to be bold. We're going to do it together. And it's not always going to be easy, but we're, we're going to, you know, do some really great things and we're going to have some fun along the way. It's been great. So it's been really great working with you. Awesome. Well, Christine, our final interview is concluding. I'm not crying. Good thing podcasts, you can't see people's faces, but uh, thank you for being an amazing and a fifth and final interviewee for us. This has been an awesome experience. And again, to echo Mike, 
thank you for everything that you've done on the project and and being a leader for me because it's been a a long road since where I came from and, and an amazing journey for me. So thank you. Great. Well, thank you. All right. So another amazing interview in the bank, our last one, which is kind of hard to believe. And and I'm getting a little emotional here in my basement recording studio. By basement recording studio, I, I just mean my desk where I sit. <laughs> so it's not super exciting. But thank you so much to Christine. I, I mean it, what I said. I wasn't just trying to suck up to her because it's really close to our uh, performance evaluation time period. She's been an amazing leader. If you're out there and you ever get a chance to work with Christine, it's amazing. So Give her a follow on LinkedIn and actually, yeah, give give us a follow. That's probably a good thing. Engage with us. We know it's over, but we're not sure where it's going to take us. So always happy to chat with folks. Maybe you heard something really cool. Again, our, our email is gbl underscore launch underscore hour at pwc.com. And Mike, how can they find us on uh, social media? Yeah, you can do hashtag PwC launch hour to get us on LinkedIn or Twitter. And yeah, special thanks with it being the last episode. Like Joel said, you know, we want to keep this going, but it's really driven by engagement. So if you like the podcast, tell a friend. And if launch hour binging isn't already a thing, it should be a thing, I think. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Joel? But um, no, want to make sure before we close out here, special thanks to the crew that made this happen. The Toronto Sound guys for keeping us sounding good, making us sound like we knew a little bit more about what we were doing than we actually did. You guys have been great to work with. Can't say enough good things about you. Again, Toronto Sound, definitely highly recommend them. Also the crew Pixel Dreams who've uh, set up our webpage and uh, kept that strong. And most importantly, Sanaz from Salesforce, our executive producer. You can find her LinkedIn page as well. Hit the splash page. I don't know if you called that out, Joel, but um, that's uh, HTTPS colon slash slash pwcpodcast.splashthat.com. You can find out more about Sanaz there. Thank you so much for leading us through this, Sanaz, and for being the visionary. Sanaz came up with the idea, right, Joel? Yeah, no, without Sanaz, there's there's no launch hour. And you listeners out there don't get to hear Mike and I talk about marketing and transformation and, and hopefully all the things that you've learned from the learnings that we had. So thank you so much for listening. And Mike, I'm glad you threw in the HTTP colon slash slash... <laughs> HTTPS. It's secure, Joel. Oh, it's secure. My apologies. So the force is strong with this one, but he's still got a ways to go. Oh, man. Don't (laughs) don't do that to me now. We're we're almost there. So anyway, thank you very much, listeners. Yeah, no. Sorry, Joel. I'm interrupting you. Yeah, go for it. Guys, keep this in. And Joel, I got to say, great working with you. Really, uh, without sounding condescending, really proud of your work, keeping this together and holding it down as a host. You did a great job and it was fun doing this, man. Oh, shucks. Thanks, Mike. And and same to you. I think this has been an amazing way to kind of wrap up the project that we worked on together. I mean, we we laugh bringing the two teams together, but we really had no idea who we were that long ago. And, and now we've come a pretty far away and, and we have this fun podcast that we'll always be able to look back on. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Mike, for being an amazing co-host with me. And from all of us at Launch Hour, thanks for listening. Cue music. Bye-bye. It's so hard to say goodbye. (laughs) Someone's cutting onions in here. (laughs) 
thought I'd take a couple minutes to talk since uh, we're in the final run of season one, so to speak, to talk about, okay, you guys have talked about an initial rollout and some of the challenges. Once you get live, what now? What are some tips on how you can drive ongoing enablement? And one thing I can tell you that um, Joel and the PwC team he was a part of, they did a great job of generating custom tailored enablement content based off the content that's already out there. And I would definitely encourage you to invest the time in tailoring the content that's out there to your own implementation. But with that said, there's a lot of great content out there to use as a starting point on your marketing cloud, excuse the pun, learning journey. Several things I'd highlight, starting with obviously marketing cloud certifications. So we have a couple that are new last year um, and one that was retired. The three we had going into 2020 were the email specialist, which traditionally everyone gets first. And then the um, the one that's retired is the social studio specialist. So you can't take that anymore. And then there was the marketing cloud consultant. If you're thinking about taking the marketing cloud consultant, it used to be the prerequisite for that was the marketing cloud email specialist one I mentioned. But now the prerequisite for the consultant is actually one of the new ones that came on board in the portfolio in 2020, the marketing cloud administrator cert, um, which I just recently got myself. So that's available and Ooh. worth Keep, thanks. Appreciate Sorry. it. <laughs> That's Gotta uh, celebrate those moments. Yeah. That's worth keeping in mind if you're looking to take the consultant cert. And then the fifth one is they actually have a, uh, I know in one episode I joked, no one gave me feedback saying I shouldn't say AMP script again, so I'm going to say it again here, but there's a marketing cloud developer cert that was added in 2020 as well that covers off AMP script, data modeling, a little bit of SQL, a little server-side JavaScript. So for you techies out there, there's that. So uh would highly encourage you to check out the certs and an inside tip if you're looking for, and again, we're not getting any promotional money, so this is kind of a free plug, but if you're looking for great study guides, um, focusonforce.com. There's a lot of great sites out there, but focusonforce.com in particular, I know a lot of our architects internally when they're trying to prep for their certs use that one. In addition to that, obviously we have Trailhead where you can sign up for a free dev org and do exercises on the Salesforce, Sales Cloud and Service Cloud side. Unfortunately, as of yet on the marketing cloud side, you can't sign up for a dev org to be able to do exercises, but there's a lot of marketing cloud content that's been added to the last year to make what we offer in terms of marketing cloud content and some of our other clouds beyond sales and service like Commerce Cloud. We've really added a lot of content to Trailhead in the last year, so that's a great way to learn also. And then in addition to that, if you're a marketing cloud customer already, you might want to check to see the level you have of our support. I believe if you're platinum support, it makes you eligible for what we call accelerators, which are basically short little bursts where we have a group of professionals in our customer success group, which I'm a part of, that'll take you through learning journeys on specific topics. So, you know, we've got C360 audiences that's, you know, just recently went into production. It's kind of the hot new thing. I'm sure we've got an accelerator on that or if not one coming soon. So I'd encourage you to look into that. It's something that really a lot of our customers underutilize, I think. The other thing I'd highlight, and I've seen throughout my 20-year career outside of Salesforce, a lot of bad help file documentation, but it's something we actually do really well. Um, so if you do a search on Salesforce Marketing Cloud AMP script, you'll get a real comprehensive guide. Same thing on server-side JavaScript, you know, import activities and automation studio, you name it. If you can do a Google search, you'll probably get a hit straight away from our help files, and you're probably actually going to find the help files very helpful. Kind of as a 
accompanying thing to that, I'd encourage you to check out a third-party site called AmpScript Guide. If you do a search for that, where a gang put together some really great supplemental information that complements our help files on AmpScript really well. And then finally, three more things. Joel, you can you corpse for me for a second? I, I'm not saying anything. Oh, like. of course you're not. No bailout. <laughs> um, but no anyway. Um, Take a deep breath and keep going. Three more things. Uh, again, it's a free plug, but there's a company called Cloud Kettle that does a lot of in-depth webinars on some really great topics. Recently, they've done a lot of webinars that I've watched relating to one of our favorite topics, Joel, consent management and how to integrate marketing cloud with sales cloud to kind of optimize how you manage consent of all sorts related to email, GDPR, and all those topics that are fun for everyone. In addition to that, I think the plans are outstanding for this year in terms of whether we're going to do it remotely, virtually, or you know whether it's going to take a break. But usually in the spring every year, about this time, we're preparing for connections, which is kind of the commerce and marketing equivalent of Dreamforce. So keep an eye out for that. Hopefully, maybe in 2022, that'll come back in person. And from a selfish standpoint, I'm near Chicago. I'm hoping uh, in uh, 2019 and 2020, they had connections in Chicago at McCormick Place. So I'm hoping it'll come back here. But it's, you know, if you like Trailhead, it's a great kind of secondary convention focusing more on marketing. And uh, both PwC and Salesforce do a lot of great informational webinars. So definitely encourage you to keep up with that. And then finally, in particular, for those of you that are techies, if you go to Salesforce's Stack Exchange, if you Google that, there's a lot of it's a great forum with a lot of Q&A for very specific use cases and how to solve for them technically. It's something I use quite a bit and would uh, certainly recommend. So certainly hope that provides our listeners with some good insight on some great materials that they can use to start to, like I said, Joel, kind of, you know, get some materials that are pretty robust and do what you guys did and kind of take the content and make it your own and adapt it to fit whoever you're trying to enable within your company. 